Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast, presented by Realm. Mr Bennet has just returned home after searching for Lydia and Wickham in London to no avail. The affair continues to put strain on the family after hearing of Mr Wickham's numerous debts. We'll have more for you right after this. Hello. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm/partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is episode 22 of Pride and Prejudice. In today's episode, you'll be hearing chapters 49 and 50. Chapter 49 Two days after Mr. Bennet's return, as Jane and Elizabeth were walking together in the shrubbery behind the house, they saw the housekeeper coming towards them and, concluding that she came to call them to their mother, went forward to meet her. But instead of the expected summons, when they approached her, she said to Miss Bennet, I beg your pardon, madam, for interrupting you, but I was in hopes you might have got some good news from town, so I took the liberty of coming to ask. What do you mean, Hill? We have heard nothing from town. Dear madam, cried Mrs. Hill, in great astonishment, don't you know there is an express come for master from Mr. Gardiner? He has been here this half hour, and master has had a letter. Away ran the girls, too eager to get in to have time for speech. They ran through the vestibule into the breakfast room, from thence to the library. Their father was in neither, and they were on the point of seeking him upstairs with their mother when they were met by the butler, who said, If you are looking for my master, ma'am, he is walking towards the little copse. Upon this information, they instantly passed through the hall once more and ran across the lawn after their father, who was deliberately pursuing his way towards a small wood on one side of the paddock. Jane, who was not so light, nor so much in the habit of running as Elizabeth, soon lagged behind, while her sister, panting for breath, came up with him and eagerly cried out, Oh, Papa, what news? What news? Have you heard from my uncle? Yes, I have had a letter from him by express. Well, and what news does it bring, good or bad? What is there of good to be expected? said he, taking the letter from his pocket but perhaps you would like to read it. Elizabeth impatiently caught it from his hand. Jane now came up. Read it aloud, 
said their father, for I hardly know myself what it is about. Grace Church Street, Monday, August 2. My dear brother, at last I am able to send you some tidings of my niece, and such as, upon the whole, I hope, will give you satisfaction. Soon after you left me on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to find out in what part of London they were. The particulars I reserve till we meet. It is enough to know they are discovered. I have seen them both. Then it is as I always hoped, cried Jane. They are married. Elizabeth read on. I have seen them both. They are not married. Nor can I find there was any intention of being so. But if you are willing to perform the engagements which I have ventured to make on your side, I hope it will not be long before they are. All that is required of you is to assure your daughter, by settlement, her equal share of the £5,000 secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister, and moreover, to enter into an engagement of allowing her, during your life, £100 per annum. These are conditions which, considering everything, I had no hesitation in complying with, as far as I thought myself privileged, for you. I shall send this by express that no time may be lost in bringing me your answer. You will easily comprehend from these particulars that Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. The world has been deceived in that respect, and I am happy to say there will be some little money even when all his debts are discharged, to settle on my niece in addition to her own fortune. If, as I conclude will be the case, you send me full powers to act in your name throughout the whole of this business, I will immediately give directions to Haggerston for preparing a proper settlement. There will not be the smallest occasion for your coming to town again. Therefore, stay quietly at Longbourn and depend on my diligence and care. Send back your answer as soon as you can and be careful to write explicitly. We have judged it best that my niece should be married from this house, of which I hope you will approve. She comes to us today. I shall write again as soon as anything more is determined on. Yours, etc. Edward Gardiner. Is it possible? cried Elizabeth when she had finished. Can it be possible that he will marry her? Wickham is not so undeserving then as we have thought him, said her sister. My dear father, I congratulate you. And have you answered the letter? said Elizabeth. No, but it must be done soon. Most earnestly did she then entreat him to lose no more time before he wrote. Oh, my dear father, she cried, come back and write immediately. Consider how important every moment is in such a case. Let me write for you, said Jane, if you dislike the trouble yourself. I dislike it very much, he replied, but it must be done. And, so saying, he turned back with them and walked towards the house. And may I ask, said Elizabeth, but the terms, I suppose, must be complied with. Complied with? I am only ashamed of his asking so little. And they must marry. Yet he is such a man. Yes, yes, they must marry. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things that I want very much to know. One is how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about, and the other, how I am ever to pay him. Money? My uncle? cried Jane. What do you mean, sir? I mean that no man in his senses would marry Lydia on so slight a temptation as one hundred a year during my life and fifty after I am gone. That is very true, said Elizabeth though it had not occurred to me before. 
his debts to be discharged, and something still to remain. Oh, it must be my uncle's doings. Generous, good man. I am afraid he has distressed himself. A small sum could not do all this. No, said her father. Wickham's a fool if he takes her with a farthing less than ten thousand pounds. I should be sorry to think so ill of him in the very beginning of our relationship. Ten thousand pounds! Heaven forbid! How is half such a sum to be repaid? Mr. Bennet made no answer, and each of them, deep in thought, continued silent till they reached the house. Their father then went to the library to write, and the girls walked into the breakfast room. And they are really to be married, cried Elizabeth, as soon as they were by themselves. How strange this is! And for this we are to be thankful, that they should marry, small as is their chance of happiness, and wretched as is his character, we are forced to rejoice. Oh, Lydia! I comfort myself with thinking, replied Jane, that he certainly would not marry Lydia if he had not a real regard for her. Though our kind uncle has done something towards clearing him, I cannot believe that ten thousand pounds or anything like it has been advanced. He has children of his own and may have more. How could he spare half ten thousand pounds? If we are ever able to learn what Wickham's debts have been, said Elizabeth, and how much is settled on his side on our sister, we shall exactly know what Mr. Gardiner has done for them, because Wickham has not sixpence of his own. The kindness of my uncle and aunt can never be requited. Their taking her home and affording her their personal protection and countenance is such a sacrifice to her advantage as years of gratitude cannot enough acknowledge. By this time she is actually with them. If such goodness does not make her miserable now, she will never deserve to be happy. What a meeting for her when she first sees my aunt! We must endeavour to forget all that has passed on either side, said Jane. I hope and trust they will yet be happy. His consenting to marry her is a proof, I will believe, that he has come to a right way of thinking. Their mutual affection will steady them, and I flatter myself they will settle so quietly and live in so rational a manner as may in time make their past imprudence forgotten. Their conduct has been such replied Elizabeth, as neither you nor I nor anybody can ever forget. It is useless to talk of it. It now occurred to the girls that their mother was in all likelihood perfectly ignorant of what had happened. They went to the library, therefore, and asked their father whether he would not wish them to make it known to her. He was writing, and, without raising his head, coolly replied, Just as you please. May we take my uncle's letter to read to her? Take whatever you like and get away. Elizabeth took the letter from his writing table, and they went upstairs together. Mary and Kitty were both with Mrs. Bennet. One communication would, therefore, do for all. After a slight preparation for good news, the letter was read aloud. Mrs. Bennet could hardly contain herself. As soon as Jane had read Mr. Gardiner's hope of Lydia's being soon married, her joy burst forth and every following sentence added to its exuberance. She was now in an irritation as violent from delight as she had ever been fidgety from alarm and vexation. To know that her daughter would be married was enough. 
she was disturbed by no fear for her felicity, nor humbled by any remembrance of her misconduct. My dear, dear Lydia, she cried, this is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at sixteen. My good, kind brother. I knew how it would be. I knew he would manage everything. How I longed to see her and to see dear Wickham too. But the clothes, the wedding clothes. I will write to my sister gardener about them directly. Lizzie, my dear, run down to your father and ask him how much he will give her. Stay, stay. I will go myself. Ring the bell, Kitty, for Hill. I will put on my things in a moment. My dear, dear Lydia, how merry we shall be together when we meet. Her eldest daughter endeavoured to give some relief to the violence of these transports by leading her thoughts to the obligations which Mr. Gardiner's behaviour laid them all under. For we must attribute this happy conclusion she added, in a great measure to his kindness. We are persuaded that he has pledged himself to assist Mr. Wickham with money. Well, cried her mother, it is all very right. Who should do it but her own uncle? If he had not had a family of his own, I and my children must have had all his money, you know, and it is the first time we have ever had anything from him except a few presents. Well... I am so happy. In a short time, I shall have a daughter married. Mrs. Wickham! How well it sounds! And she was only sixteen last June. My dear Jane, I am in such a flutter that I am sure I can't write. So I will dictate and you write for me. We will settle with your father about the money afterwards. But the things should be ordered immediately. She was then proceeding to all the particulars of calico, muslin and cambric, and would shortly have dictated some very plentiful orders had not Jane, though with some difficulty, persuaded her to wait till her father was at leisure to be consulted. One day's delay, she observed, would be of small importance, and her mother was too happy to be quite so obstinate as usual. Other schemes, too, came into her head. I will go to Meryton, said she, as soon as I am dressed, and tell the good, good news to my sister Phillips. And as I come back, I can call on Lady Lucas and Mrs Long. Kitty, run down and order the carriage. An airing would do me a great deal of good, I am sure. Girls, can I do anything for you in Meryton? Oh, here comes Hill, my dear Hill. Have you heard the good news? Miss Lydia is going to be married, and you shall all have a bowl of punch to make merry at her wedding. Mrs Hill began instantly to express her joy. Elizabeth received her congratulations amongst the rest, and then, sick of this folly, took refuge in her own room that she might think with freedom. Poor Lydia's situation must at best be bad enough, but that it was no worse she had need to be thankful. She felt it so, and though, in looking forward, neither rational happiness nor worldly prosperity could be justly expected for her sister, in looking back to what they had feared only two hours ago, she felt all the advantages of what they had gained. (laughs) 
While I do really enjoy the convenience of streaming at home, there is something really special about the experience of going to the movie theater. And if you're like me and find yourself going a couple times a month or the cost of movie tickets has kept you from going as often as you'd like, Regal Unlimited just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. I love going to Regal theaters. I personally have gone twice in the last three weeks and so this movie subscription pass is truly perfect. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions and when you want to watch a movie in a premium format like 4DX, IMAX, RPX, or ScreenX, your Regal Unlimited memberships gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you'll also save on snacks, which is personally a must when in the theater. Members get 10% off all non-alcoholic concession items. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, you need to join Regal Unlimited. Sign up now in the Regal app or on regmovies.com unlimited. R-E-G movies.com unlimited. When you sign up, use code Austin and earn 10% off a three-month subscription. Again, Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So if you're planning to see more than one movie this month, Regal Unlimited is the way to save money on your tickets and your snacks and just have that magical experience in a movie theater. I've been on such a learning kick lately, and I mean everything from taking ceramics classes to reading multiple nonfiction books, which is very unlike me as a almost exclusive fiction reader. But it's so amazing to learn new things in all these different ways, which is why I'm so excited to talk about our sponsor, Marquee TV. Firstly, because their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. And secondly, because Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture, and it's been a great addition to my rotation of places to learn from. Now that I've had time to explore Marquee TV, I've been truly amazed by the vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It's a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. And again, as someone who is really trying to absorb as much new information right now, the first thing I watched on Marquee TV was The Pianist of Yarmouk. It's a documentary about a classically trained musician attempting to escape the war in Syria. And while it was made in 2016, it's a documentary that's especially poignant today. Music plays such an important part in so many aspects of life. And I probably would never have heard about this story if it weren't for Marquee TV. So imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertips. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. So bring the arts home with Marquee TV. We've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code AUSTIN. Just visit marquee.tv and use the promo code AUSTIN to dive into the world of arts like never before. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV and keep up with the latest in arts streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Chapter 50 Mr. Bennet had very often wished before this period of his life that instead of spending his whole income he had laid by an annual sum for the better provision of his children and of his wife if she survived him. He now wished it more than ever. 
Had he done his duty in that respect, Lydia need not have been indebted to her uncle for whatever of honour or credit could now be purchased for her. The satisfaction of prevailing on one of the most worthless young men in Great Britain to be her husband might then have rested in its proper place. He was seriously concerned that a cause of so little advantage to anyone should be forwarded at the sole expense of his brother-in-law, and he was determined, if possible, to find out the extent of his assistance and to discharge the obligation as soon as he could. When first Mr. Bennet had married, economy was held to be perfectly useless, for of course they were to have a son. This son was to join in cutting off the entail as soon as he should be of age, and the widow and younger children would by that means be provided for. Five daughters successively entered the world, but yet the son was to come, and Mrs. Bennet, for many years after Lydia's birth, had been certain that he would. This event had at last been despaired of, but it was then too late to be saving. Mrs. Bennet had no turn for economy, and her husband's love of independence had alone prevented their exceeding their income. Five thousand pounds was settled by marriage articles on Mrs. Bennet and the children, but in what proportions it should be divided amongst the latter depended on the will of the parents. This was one point, with regard to Lydia at least, which was now to be settled, and Mr. Bennet could have no hesitation in acceding to the proposal before him. In terms of grateful acknowledgement for the kindness of his brother, though expressed most concisely, he then delivered on paper his perfect approbation of all that was done, and his willingness to fulfil the engagements that had been made for him. He had never before supposed that, could Wickham be prevailed on to marry his daughter, it would be done with so little inconvenience to himself as by the present arrangement. He would scarcely be ten pounds a year the loser by the hundred that was to be paid them, for what with her board and pocket allowance and the continual presence in money which passed to her through her mother's hands, Lydia's expenses had been very little within that sum. That it would be done with such trifling exertion on his side, too, was another very welcome surprise, for his chief wish at present was to have as little trouble in the business as possible. When the first transports of rage which had produced his activity in seeking her were over, he naturally returned to all his former indolence. His letter was soon dispatched, for though dilatory in undertaking business, he was quick in its execution. He begged to know farther particulars of what he was indebted to his brother, but was too angry with Lydia to send any message to her. The good news quickly spread through the house, and with proportionate speed through the neighbourhood. It was borne in the latter with decent philosophy. To be sure, it would have been more for the advantage of conversation had Miss Lydia Bennet come upon the town, or, as the happiest alternative, been secluded from the world in some distant farmhouse. But there was much to be talked of in marrying her, and the good-natured wishes for her well-doing which had proceeded before from all the spiteful old ladies in Meryton lost but little of their spirit in this change of circumstances because with such a husband her misery was considered certain. It was a fortnight since Mrs. Bennet had been downstairs, but on this happy day she again took her seat at the head of her table and in spirits oppressively high. 
No sentiment of shame gave a damp to her triumph. The marriage of a daughter which had been the first object of her wishes since Jane was sixteen was now on the point of accomplishment, and her thoughts and her words ran wholly on those attendants of elegant nuptials, fine muslins, new carriages and servants. She was busily searching through the neighbourhood for a proper situation for her daughter, and, without knowing or considering what their income might be, rejected many as deficient in size and importance. Hay Park might do, said she, if the Gouldings would quit it, or the great house at Stoke, if the drawing-room were larger. But Ashworth is too far off. I could not bear to have her ten miles from me, and as for Purvis Lodge, the attics are dreadful. Her husband allowed her to talk on without interruption while the servants remained. But when they had withdrawn, he said to her, Mrs. Bennet, before you take any or all of these houses for your son and daughter, let us come to a right understanding. Into one house in this neighbourhood they shall never have admittance. I will not encourage the impudence of either by receiving them at Longbourn. A long dispute followed this declaration, but Mr. Bennet was firm. It soon led to another, and Mrs. Bennet found with amazement and horror that her husband would not advance a guinea to buy clothes for his daughter. He protested that she should receive from him no mark of affection whatever on the occasion. Mrs. Bennet could hardly comprehend it, that his anger could be carried to such a point of inconceivable resentment as to refuse his daughter a privilege without which her marriage would scarcely seem valid, exceeded all that she could believe possible. She was more alive to the disgrace which the want of new clothes must reflect on her daughter's nuptials than to any sense of shame at her eloping and living with Wickham a fortnight before they took place. Elizabeth was now most heartily sorry that she had, from the distress of the moment, been led to make Mr. Darcy acquainted with their fears for her sister. For since her marriage would so shortly give the proper termination to the elopement, they might hope to conceal its unfavourable beginning from all those who were not immediately on the spot. She had no fear of its spreading farther through his means. There were few people on whose secrecy she would have more confidently depended, but at the same time there was no one whose knowledge of a sister's frailty would have mortified her so much. Not, however, from any fear of disadvantage from it individually to herself— for at any rate there seemed a gulf impassable between them. Had Lydia's marriage been concluded on the most honourable terms, it was not to be supposed that Mr. Darcy would connect himself with the family, where to every other objection would now be added an alliance and relationship of the nearest kind with the man whom he so justly scorned. From such a connection she could not wonder that he should shrink." the wish of procuring her regard, which she had assured herself of his feeling in Derbyshire, could not in rational expectation survive such a blow as this. She was humbled. She was grieved. She repented, though she hardly knew of what. She became jealous of his esteem when she could no longer hope to be benefited by it. She wanted to hear of him when there seemed the least chance of gaining intelligence. She was convinced that she could have been happy with him, when it was no longer likely they should meet. 
What a triumph for him, as she often thought, could he know that the proposals which she had proudly spurned only four months ago would now have been gladly and gratefully received. He was as generous, she doubted not, as the most generous of his sex. But while he was mortal, there must be a triumph. She began now to comprehend that he was exactly the man who, in disposition and talents, would most suit her. His understanding and temper, though unlike her own, would have answered all her wishes. It was an union that must have been to the advantage of both. By her ease and liveliness, his mind might have been softened, his manners improved, and from his judgment, information, and knowledge of the world, she must have received benefit of greater importance. But no such happy marriage could now teach the admiring multitude what connubial felicity really was— an union of a different tendency and precluding the possibility of the other was soon to be formed in their family. How Wickham and Lydia were to be supported in tolerable independence she could not imagine, but how little of permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue, she could easily conjecture. Mr. Gardiner soon wrote again to his brother. To Mr. Bennet's acknowledgments he briefly replied with assurances of his eagerness to promote the welfare of any of his family, and concluded with entreaties that the subject might never be mentioned to him again. The principal purport of his letter was to inform them that Mr. Wickham had resolved on quitting the militia. It was greatly my wish that he should do so, he added, as soon as his marriage was fixed on, and I think you will agree with me in considering a removal from that corps as highly advisable, both on his account and my niece's. It is Mr. Wickham's intention to go into the regulars, and among his former friends there are still some who are able and willing to assist him in the army. He has the promise of an ensigncy in General Blank's regiment, now quartered in the north. It is an advantage to have it so far from this part of the kingdom. He promises fairly, and I hope among different people, where they may each have a character to preserve, they will both be more prudent. I have written to Colonel Forster to inform him of our present arrangements and to request that he will satisfy the various creditors of Mr. Wickham in and near Brighton with assurances of speedy payment for which I have pledged myself. And will you give yourself the trouble of carrying similar assurances to his creditors in Meryton, of whom I shall subjoin a list according to his information? He has given in all his debts. I hope at least he has not deceived us. Haggerston has our directions, and all will be completed in a week. They will then join his regiment unless they are first invited to Longbourn, and I understand from Mrs. Gardiner that my niece is very desirous of seeing you all before she leaves the South. She is well, and begs to be dutifully remembered to you and her mother. Yours, etc., E. Gardiner. Mr. Bennet and his daughters saw all the advantages of Wickham's removal from the Shire as clearly as Mr. Gardiner could do. But Mrs. Bennet was not so well pleased with it. Lydia's being settled in the north, just when she had expected most pleasure and pride in her company, for she had by no means given up her plan of their residing in Hertfordshire, was a severe disappointment. And besides, it was such a pity that Lydia should be taken from a regiment where she was acquainted with everybody and had so many favourites. 
She is so fond of Mrs. Forster, said she. It will be quite shocking to send her away. And there are several of the young men, too, that she likes very much. The officers may not be so pleasant in General Blank's regiment. His daughter's request, for such it might be considered, of being admitted into her family again before she set off for the North, received at first an absolute negative. But Jane and Elizabeth, who agreed in wishing for the sake of their sister's feelings and consequence that she should be noticed on her marriage by her parents, urged him so earnestly, yet so rationally and so mildly, to receive her and her husband at Longbourn as soon as they were married, that he was prevailed on to think as they thought and act as they wished, and their mother had the satisfaction of knowing that she should be able to show her married daughter in the neighbourhood before she was banished to the north. When Mr. Bennet wrote again to his brother, therefore, he sent his permission for them to come and it was settled that as soon as the ceremony was over, they should proceed to Longbourn. Elizabeth was surprised, however, that Wickham should consent to such a scheme, and had she consulted only her own inclination, any meeting with him would have been the last object of her wishes. What a relief! In Austen's time, middle-class women and girls were completely dependent on their fathers and their husbands and their brothers, i.e. men, for their very survival. Talk about the patriarchy. I mean, obviously, it's still here, but we've come a very, very long way. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate, review and share it with friends. You can listen ad-free by joining Realm Unlimited at realm.fm or Realm Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more shows like this one by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or at realm.fm. I'm Alison Larkin. See you next time. You're listening to the Pride and Prejudice podcast with Alison Larkin. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is a Realm Original production, hosted and performed by Alison Larkin, based on the novels by Jane Austen, produced by Kaylin West and Nicole Kreuter. 
executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced and edited by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Performed by Jody Redditch Ferber and Ben Russell. Musical engineering by Justin Morrell. Musical supervision by Marcus Thorne Bagala. Production management by Devin Shepard. Production coordination by Angela Yee. Cover art by Naomi Cho. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like the Jane Austen podcast with Allison Larkin by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>